Hello, everyone. This is your host, John Hagedorn. There's a place in everybody's mind where you can go to take a break from the worries of everyday life and work. It's not always easy to find that place. Most of us don't have a name for it, but it's there. You might be driving coast to coast solo or staying up late at night hoping for sleep, and all you want to do is to find a place where you can tune in something interesting and tune out all the clutter that's going on in your mind. Getting into a good story is a good way to find that place. I'm a curator of all types of stories, many of which I narrate for my 1001 Stories Network shows. I'm also a connoisseur of vintage radio shows, mostly from the 50s, before television took hold and took imagination and great script writing out of the picture. I've created a place you can go to any time you need a great story, and it's called 1001 Stories from Roy's Diner, or simply Roy's Diner. It's just up ahead on the right. On the menu tonight at Roy's Diner, the very best of 50s vintage suspense, thriller, and sci-fi radio episodes. We're inviting you to stop in for a story or two. The coffee here is free. And now, our story. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of the Whistler? You cops are going to be on the scene of a crime Instead of coming in after it's all over Tonight I'm going to do a little exterminating Sunday night and again CBS presents The Whistler the whistler know many things for I walk by night I know many strange tales many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows and so I tell you tonight the story of the double cross it is Christmas Eve in the big lonely city of New York outside the snow falls in huge floating flakes Inside an apartment, young Joe Blake sits on the floor before a small Christmas tree with his four-year-old nephew, Timmy. Joe's sister died two years ago, and for a while the child's father tried to look after Timmy. But being a detective lieutenant, the father, Steve, found it almost impossible. A year ago, young Joe had become involved with some hoodlums and would have gone to reform school but for Steve's intercession. Joe has kept out of trouble since then and has been living with Steve and taking care of the apartment and little Timmy. When will Santa Claus come, Uncle Joe? Well, I don't think he'll come until you go to sleep, Timmy. How's he going to get in? He comes down the chimney. What chimney? I never thought of that. Well, maybe it comes through the window. They're all locked, Uncle Joe. Well, I'll open one after you go to bed, kid. He'll get in. Don't worry about that. Open the biggest one. The biggest one? Why? Well, I saw Santa Claus, and he's fat. And a pony is big, too. Oh, I see. Well, I don't know about the pony, Timmy. Kind of scarce these days. Huh? Ponies are kind of... kind of extinct. Well, I could keep my window open. No one would smell them. (laughs) Wouldn't you like to have a train just as well? If you don't get a pony, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. boy, Timmy. Well, you better go to bed now. It's after 11, and old Nick won't come unless he's sure you're asleep. How about it? When is Daddy coming? Oh, he'll be along soon. Come on, Timmy. You're going to turn in. There we are. Tucked in fine. Night, Timmy. Don't forget to open the window. I won't. I'll open them all. Police calls on the other end of the dial, Joe. Huh? Oh, hello, Steve. I didn't hear you come in. Let me help you. I wasn't looking for the police call. No? I just put Timmy to bed. Why so late? Oh, he wanted to see Santa Claus. He's going to be kind of disappointed in the morning. How so? (laughs) That's a pony. Well, maybe you can buy him one, Joe. Are you kidding? No. I don't get it. What's the matter with you, Steve? Something go wrong tonight? Have you been here all evening? Why, sure. Haven't been out. Don't I always stay with Timmy when you work late? 
You didn't slip out for an hour or so while Timmy was asleep, huh? No, why should I? But you could have. Sure I could, but I didn't. Joe, when I got you out of that last scrape, I did it because I had a lot of faith in you. In your promises. I still don't get it. I was the one who got you that relief job in that department store. I, I vouched for you. Oh, I know that. What about it? Somebody opened the store safe tonight. Somebody with slick fingers. Sensitive fingers like... Like yours, Joe. What? Why, I've been near the store since noon. You sure? Certainly. I'm not crazy. I've had my lesson. I wish I could believe that. I swear I haven't been out of this house. Why should you try to pin anything like this on me just because I'm... Well, I'm working there during the holiday season. I'm not trying to pin anything on you. Just has all the earmarks of your abilities to open a safe. That's not fair, Steve. I'm through with that kind of stuff. I got plans. I'm going to make something useful of myself. You're sure you weren't out of this place? I swear I wasn't, Steve. I swear it. Okay. I'll take a chance on it. I'm not on the case, but I heard about it. Now, look, they'll start checking on all the records of guys like you, and they'll probably drop around to see you tomorrow. I didn't leave the house, Steve. I didn't. Okay, but you've got to have an alibi. Well, Timmy was here. Ah, uh, Timmy's a baby. He won't count. Oh, hello, Steve. Why, evening, Captain. Come on in. Yeah. You know my brother-in-law, Joe. Yeah, I remember him. What can I do for you? Sit down. I was just ready to turn in, but sitting around reading for a couple of hours. Kind of drowsy. Yeah? How long you been here, Steve? Oh, I got off duty at 8. Been home since 8.30. Why? How long has Joe been here? Oh, he was here when I came in. He's, he's been here all evening. Hasn't been out? Certainly not. What are you getting at, Captain? Joe's been working mornings at Shelby's department store, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, their safe was open tonight around 9.30. They closed at 7.30. I thought we'd check up on the boys with sensitive fingers. Joe? <laughs> Why, he hasn't been out of the house, I'll swear to that. You will? Certainly I will. Ah, Joe's through with that kind of stuff. Yeah? Well, then how would you explain this, Steve? Why, where'd you get that cigarette case? That's... Wait a minute. Let's see that. Sure. We found it beside the safe. Joe, this is the case your sister gave you a year before last. I had your name engraved on it. Yeah, but how'd it get there? I've never been near this store safe. No? Well, I suppose you just lost it somewhere. When did you see that case last, Joe? Oh, yeah, I had it this morning. As a matter of fact, I hadn't missed it. Hmm. You expect me to believe that, Steve? No. And you expect me to believe that you were here all evening? No. You dirty little rat. You did pull that job. No, no, I swear I didn't, Steve. I swear it. You know what this means, Steve? You haven't been here all evening. You're lying. You're trying to furnish an alibi for Joe. Do you know what that means? Yes, I know what it means. Sneaking little crook. I believed in him. Get him out of here. Get him out before I break his neck. Steve, please listen. There'll be a hearing about you, Steve, in the morning. But Joe can't explain how his cigarette case happened to be near the safe. He remembers having lunch with a few of the old gang. Maybe it disappeared then, but nothing can be proved. So Joe is convicted and sent to prison for two years. Steve is discharged from the police force and goes into seclusion, his heart filled with bitter hatred for Joe. Two years pass, and Joe is released, determined to make a success of his life regardless of his past. Steve has disappeared, but Joe meets Della Kenton, daughter of wealthy John Kenton. Ella persuades her father to engage Joe as his secretary. Guess who, darling? Huh? Why, I can't imagine. But if I could, I'd guess it was Della. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd guess right. Are you going to type all day, Joseph? No, not all day, darling. I'll be through in a few minutes. I've got a message for you. I knew you were busy, so I answered the phone. It was a man, thank heaven, and he said to tell you that he'd located your friend Steve. What? Did you get the address? Yes, darling, but don't get so excited. Here it is, 454 East 17th Street. Hmm, that's certainly a dilapidated part of town. Whom do you know who lives there? A fellow I used to know. I've been trying to locate him for two years. Well, it is a sort of a cheap locality, isn't it? May I go with you? Oh, darling, I'd rather you didn't. I won't be gone long. Well, I hope not, and, and don't forget, Father is arriving on the midnight train, and he expects us to meet him. Yeah, I remember. I'll be back soon. All right, darling, I'll be ready. So long, Della. Just a moment. Haven't you forgotten something? Have I? What? Are you a married man? <laughs> Certainly not. That is, not yet. Well, then don't act so much like one. Come back here and kiss me. Oh, I'm sorry, Stella, Adela, darling. I, 
I'm so excited I forgot. Bye, dear. Mm, that's better. Now you can go. Go on. <laughs> I won't be gone long. I hope not, because I want to talk to you about Christmas. Christmas? Yes. We're going to give a Christmas party, and I want you to help me. Well, yes, of course, darling. I won't be long. Timmy. Well, well. How are you, baby? Why, Timmy, don't you remember me? It's your Uncle Joe. <laughs> oh, gee, it's good to see you. Uncle Joe? Gee, Uncle Joe. By golly, I've been looking for you and your dad ever since, well, for over a year. Where is your dad? I don't know. Someplace, I guess. Yeah? How long have you been in this place? Oh, a long time. What's Steve doing? I don't know. It's almost Christmas again, Timmy. Remember that last Christmas when you wanted a pony? <laughs> what would you like to have most this Christmas, huh? How'd you like a bicycle or a pair of skates or... Hey, hey, what's wrong, Timmy? You're crying. I... I'd like to have a bicycle, Say, but... what are you doing in bed at this time of the afternoon? I couldn't ride a bicycle. Timmy, what is it? Tell me, baby. I don't know, Uncle Joe. I just can't walk. When did this happen? Last summer... First, my foot wouldn't work. Then my leg wouldn't work. And... Oh, Timmy. But I'll be all right pretty soon. As soon as Pop gets the money for the operation. Of course you will, Timmy. You'll be all right in no time at all. Well, that must be Steve now. I'll close your door for a minute, Timmy. I want to talk to Steve. You'll come back, Uncle Joe? Yeah, I'll be back a lot now. Hello, Steve. What are you doing here? Who let you in? I walked in. Door was open. Well, it's still open. Get out. I've been looking for you ever since I got out. What for? I wanted to explain things. I'm sorry about what happened to you, Steve. I don't want any explanations. Hey, what's wrong with Timmy? Are you going? You look like you'd been drinking a lot, Steve. So what? You wouldn't be living in a place like this if you were working. I'm getting by all right. What about Timmy's operation? Can you take care of that? I will, I will. Well, maybe I could help, Steve. Why, you thieving little rat... I wouldn't take anything from you if Timmy and I both stopped to death. Don't be a fool, Steve. I haven't got anything, but I may be able to raise some money. How? Open another safe? Now get out of here before I throw you out. You're drunk, Steve. I'm not drunk and I don't need you. Get out! Okay, Steve. Okay, I'll go. But if you don't care about Timmy, I do. Now look, Timmy's got to be operated on within 30 days. It'll take $2,000, maybe more, and I'll get it. I won't steal it the way you would. And I'll get it. Now get out of here before I brain you. So long, Steve. I'll be seeing you. Dusk has descended as Joe leaves the cheap apartment and drives to the palatial estate of his fiancée, Della. He has decided to ask Della's father to lend him the $2,000. As he turns into the drive, a man steps out from beside the gate and stands before his car. What do you want? I want to talk to you, Joe. Who are you? Freddie Elsa. You remember me, Joe. What do you want, Freddie? Uh, Mike Slavich wants to have a little gab fest with you. Mike Slavich? Where is he? Turn out your lights and turn off your motor. What are you doing here? Mike will tell you. Hiya, Joe. How you doing? What are you doing around here, Mike? I want to talk to you. Mind if I get in? You've been doing all right since you got out, haven't you, Joe? Well enough. I'll see. Living in this big joint, engaged to old man Kenton's daughter. That's what I call climbing. You're the old man's secretary, ain't you? Yeah, get to the point. Old man Kenton's got a safe in that house. It's got a lot of rocks in it. What about it? We thought you might help us get them. You know the combination of the safe. You're crazy. I wouldn't think of it. We could change your mind. Couldn't we, Freddy? Yeah, more ways than one. Get out of this car. You don't scare, eh, Joe? No. Well, we mean business. If that don't scare you, maybe something else will. You think so? We know a quiet little spot... No one would find you for weeks, if ever. Well, a real gun. Shoulder holster and everything. We've come a long way since we were kids, Mike. Started out with cap pistols and now the real thing. Yep. All you do is squeeze it. And squirts lead instead of water. How far do you think you'd get if you did squeeze it? We've never been pinched yet. No record, no fingerprints, no nothing. First time for everything, huh? Cigarette, Mike? Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Oh, 
get a load of the cigarette case, Freddy. Joseph from Della. Fancy stuff. Well, how about it, Joe? Well, looks like I'm stuck. I think you guys mean business. What's your plan? Old man Kenton's out of town. We walk in with you, you open the safe, take the rocks, and we all leave. All leave? We'll take you with us. We'll hide out for a day or so until they start looking for you. You'll be accused, you know. Now, wait a minute. Come on, get going, Joe. Out of that car and up the drive. Open it up, Joe. Quit stalling. Okay, okay. It's open. Hand me the stuff. There you are. Thanks. Now, let's go. Joseph, are you in the library? Get out there and talk to her. Have you leave in town for a few days? No monkey business. We'll be watching. Uh, yes, Della. I'll be right out. Oh, where have you been, darling? We've got to meet that train. Well, I... Della, I was... Uh, well, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, you'll have to meet your father alone. I I got to run out of town tonight on business. I'll be back in a few days. What? Well, when did this come up? Uh, just a few minutes ago. I'm going to drive. Well, well, all right, darling, if you must. Will you be back in time for the Christmas party? Well, I hope so, Della. Well, I'd better get to the station. The train will be in in a few minutes. Yeah. Goodbye, dear. Goodbye, and take care of yourself, Joseph. I'll try, darling. As soon as she gets out the drive, we'll leave. You take my car, Freddy. I'll drive with Joe. Come on. <laughs> Now, two days later, the story of the jewel theft breaks in the newspapers. Joe Blake is suspected, and old man Kenton has offered a reward for the recovery of the stones in apprehension of Joe. Gee, Mike, he's offering $10,000 for the recovery of the rocks and $2,500 for the capture of Joe. I see, I see. Well, we'll lay low for a few more days, then skip to Chicago and unload this stuff. Why do that? You got a better deal right here in town. How do you mean, Joe? You'd make a lot more by collecting this reward than you would from a fence out of town. Hmm. You mean we go back to Kenton and hand over the stuff? Why not? Not a bad idea. But we'd have to take you with us and turn you in. Well, certainly. You'd have to do that to prove how you found the jewels. What's your plan? Oh, look. You guys are a couple of private detectives. And you read about the reward, see? You just happened to spot me and grab me. Brought me back to Kenton. You turn over the stuff and he pays off. I'll make a break for the door. You gotta take a few shots at me to make it look real, but you shoot wild. I get away. Then later on, when the coast is clear, I'll drop around. That leaves you in the clear, and I don't get locked up. Uh, I think it's a nutty idea. What if it don't work? Shut up. That ain't a bad idea, Joe. I'll take you up on that. <laughs> So, Mr. Kenton, me and my partner read about the theft and saw this guy's picture and happened to spot him in this lunchroom. So we nabbed him. Well, here he is, and there's all your jewelry. Yes, this is all here, every bit of it. Take it over, Della. See if your jewels are all there. Yes, Father. Nothing of mine is missing. Very well. I suppose you want the reward? Well, uh, <laughs> after all... I'll give you this check for 10000 now for the return of the stones. And I'll withhold the 2500 until he is booked by the police and locked up. Well, okay, but uh, we captured him. What more do you want? I prefer it that way. I want to be sure that he's locked up. And if he gets out in 20 years, it'll be too soon for me. You certainly pulled the wool over my eyes. And when I think that Della might have married you, an ex-convict, can't always judge a book by its cover. It doesn't seem possible I could have been such an utter fool. You've got a lot of things to learn, Della. The sooner you get him out of here, the better. Well, here's your check and... So long, Della. He's getting away! Come back here. Right. He's locked it from the other side. He won't get far. I must have hit him. Call the police. Never mind. We'll get him. 2,500 belongs to us. Come on, Freddy, out this window. He won't get far. Do you think you hit him, really? No, I missed him deliberately. Shot high. But now that I think about it, I'm just a sap. That was our chance to get rid of him. Sort of legally. He knows too much. I don't trust him. Yeah, but we ain't really cops. So what? Any citizen's got a right to catch a fugitive. Come on, we're going to get that baby. Joe makes a getaway and heads for a little hotel where he hides out for another day. Then the papers break with another story. 
and Kenton has increased the reward for Joe's capture. Joe studies this over for a while and realizes the possibility of Mike's double-crossing him for the additional reward. He slips out for a while, then returns to his room around eight in the evening. Who is it? Open up or I'll kick it down. Steve. Well, so here you are, the rat himself. What do you want, Steve? What do you think? Are you back on the force, Steve? I will be when I get through with you. Because of you, I got kicked out. Now you're the one who's going to set me back in harness again. Funny how things work out. Oh, you know about the reward, do you? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Once a crook, always a crook. I knew you'd pull something sooner or later. How's Timmy? He's just going to be fine in a few days. What do you mean? He can have that operation now. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. You're not half as glad as I am. And the thing that pleases me most is the way I'm getting the dough. Boy, this rep is going to send you away for 20 years. So what? Get your hat and start walking. And don't try that fade-out stuff on me, because I like you so much, I'd as soon plug you as look at you. Thanks, Mr. Kenton. Thanks very much. I wouldn't have come out so soon, but, well, this money is a lifesaver. How's that, Bradley? My kid, Timmy's got to have an operation I didn't have a cent. Has to be done in a few days or he won't live. Check's a real Christmas present. Mr. Bradley, what do you think they will do with Joseph? Oh, he'll get 20 years, two-time loser. What a shame. I had a lot of faith in that boy. So did Della. I just can't understand it. There's been some others who felt that way. Well, what did he have to gain? He was engaged to Della, and he could have had everything. And he was very stupid to do what he did. What do you mean? Well, he took a chance on his life when he escaped from this room. He knew those two men had guns. Good thing for him that the big fella couldn't shoot straight. They fired at him? The big man did, as he went right through that door. Look up above the door. All three shots near the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, I see. You know, I'd say there was either very good shooting or he had a gun that kicked like a mule. It wasn't a big gun, a snub-nosed revolver. Snub-nosed? Not a service pistol? No, I'm sure it wasn't. Hmm. I may drop in on you in a few days, Mr. Kenton. Certainly, Bradley, any time. I want to ask you a few questions, Joe. Did you collect the reward? I did last night. How's Timmy? He went to the hospital this morning. Oh, that's swell. Gee, I'm glad. Well, what do you want to know? He didn't pull his job alone, Joe. How did you arrive at that conclusion? Who were those guys who captured you? Said they were private detectives. One of them was a swell shot. He placed every slug in the same spot, above the door, deliberately. They were in this with you, gagged to cop the reward that was sure to be offered. Otherwise, they'd have popped you in the doorway, you were to get away, and then all meet later and share the proceeds. Yeah? But in the meantime, they changed their minds, Joe, and decided to cut you out. They double-crossed you. What do you mean? How do you suppose I knew where you were hiding? A guy phoned me and tipped me off. They figured you'd... they had no police record. Nothing you could say would implicate him. They're safe. Why attempt to shield a double-crosser? That's just what I figured those rats would do. You might as well spill it, Joe, and determine to crack this case. Yeah? What would happen if you cracked this one and another one besides? Set you up as a lieutenant again, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay. I was forced to open that safe at the point of a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me another one, Joe. If you want to grab the other two guys, I'll make a deal with you. A deal? Let me talk to your fingerprint expert and get me out of this cell. Are you kidding? I want you to take me to old man Kenton's. There's a Christmas Eve party going on there tonight. I wouldn't trust you across the hall. It means just as much to you as it does to me and probably more. I'll guarantee results. Okay. What's your plan? I'll tell you on the way out to the Kenton place. All right. Hey, Sergeant, let us out of here. me, gentlemen. Father's waiting for you in the library. Looks like you're going to have quite a party here tonight, Miss Kenton. It sure does. Here are the two detectives, Father. Oh, yes, yes. Come in, gentlemen. Come in. Uh, Close the door, Della. I sent for you men because you did a good job of capturing Joe Blake and returning the jewels. Yeah? I'm having quite a number of guests here tonight, and I've just received some disturbing news. Joe Blake has escaped. Escaped? Holy mackerel. He may make another try to steal the jewels while we are occupied with our guests. I see. Uh, 
You want us to see that nothing happened. I want you fellas to stay here near the safe, and if he does come, grab him. Uh, sure, sure. You won't have a thing to worry about. Good. Come along, Della. I guess the beginning to lie. All right, everybody, don't make a move. Father! Sure. Lay your guns on the desk, boys. Thanks. Get over to the other side of the room, Della. You too, Kenton. Things might happen. What's on your mind, Joe? Spread your hands flat on that desktop, Mike. You too, Freddy, and keep them there. Make one move and I'll drill you both, you dirty double-crossing rats. Forced me to open the safe at the point of a gun and tipped off the cops sort of find me because you were afraid I might horn in on the reward. This guy must be nuts, Mr. Kenton. Which one of you phoned Steve Bradley? Come on. Well, I didn't, Joe. I thought you was going to contact Shut us. Shut up, you little dope. Yeah, but he's mad, Mike. I don't want him to think I tipped the cops. Shut up. You did it, Freddy. You're the one. No, no, honest, Joe, I didn't. I, I didn't. Please, Joe. Open I... that safe, Kenton. I'm really taking those jewels this time. But I won't be bothered by Mike and Freddy. Joe, I didn't do it, honest. I'm going to place one right between your eyes, Freddy. Right between your eyes. Joe! He's bluffing. Don't anybody move. I'll open the door. Hello, Mr. Kenton. Hello, Bradley. We traced Joe Blake to the edge of your estate. I thought we'd be able to look in for... Just in time, Steve. Put up your hands and step into the room. What goes on here? The cops are going to be in on the scene of the crime instead of coming in after the crime's over. I'm going to take some jewels and do a little exterminating. But first, I'm going to make these guys do a little talking. I want to know which one of you guys tipped off Steve about me. Say something, Mike. This guy's crazy. Says we made him steal his stuff. That the voice you heard on the phone, Steve? No. What have you got to say, Freddy? It wasn't me. I tell you, it wasn't. It must be him. Yeah, it certainly sounds like him. I thought so. Right between the eyes, Freddy. Oh, please, Joe, don't. He won't shoot. Hand over that gun, Joe. Give it to me. Oh! oh. He did it. I told you he meant it. You're crazy, Joe. You're crazy. I killed a cop, so why should I worry about killing a couple of rats like you? Start talking, Mike. Tell him you guys forced me to open that safe. You can't bluff me. There's no proof of such a thing. No? All right, Sergeant. Check Mike's fingerprints on the glass top desk. Step on it. Yeah, sure. Mr. Kenton, look in the second drawer of the safe. You'll find my cigarette case wrapped in a handkerchief. What? By George, he's right. I put it there the night I opened the safe. Let the sergeant compare the prints with the ones on the desktop. I haven't been near that safe since the night the stones disappeared. What are you trying to pull, Joe? You have no police record, Mike. I didn't want you to go through life like that, so I fixed one up for you. Remember the night you forced me into this? I offered you a cigarette? Well, you got a record now, Mike. Well... Mike's prints on the desk. Check with the ones in the cigarette case. And how about that photo of prints you found on that safe I was supposed to have opened several years ago? You brought them along? Sir. Why, they're all the same. They all check. Now you guys start talking. Go on, tell it all. I'll tell nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. Right between the eyes, Freddy. Right between the eyes. Tell him, Mike. Tell him he means it. I'll tell him nothing. <laughs> Joe! Well, that finishes Freddy. Are you ready to talk, Mike? Yeah. Yeah, hot. I'll talk, Joe. I'll talk. You robbed that department store. You planted my cigarette case there. You copped it at the lunchroom, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I had nothing to do with that job. And you did force me to open this safe, didn't you? My cigarette case proves that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'll admit it. You're innocent, Joe. All right. There you are, Steve. You can get up now. Yeah. Very nicely handled, Joe. Hey, I... I thought you was... I've been framed! Pour some water on Freddy. Joe was using blanks. Hey, Joe. No, Joe, I'll tell everything, everything. Nothing more to tell, Freddy. It's all been told. Well, that certainly leaves you in the clear, Joe. And Joe, I want to apologize for everything. Okay, Lieutenant. Apologies accepted. Merry Christmas, Joe. Same to you, Steve. And tell Timmy that uh, Della and I will be down to see him in the morning. Well, there you are. Everything worked out very nicely, just as everything should, but seldom does. <laughs> but there's something I should explain about the person who tipped Steve off as to where to find Joe. It wasn't Mike, and it wasn't Freddy. No, it was Joe himself. It was Joe who phoned Steve, knowing it would give Steve an impetus, a new start in his career of sleuthing. And it really worked. And it saved Timmy's life. And Joe's, too, for that matter.
CBS has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The Whistler is written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originates from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next week at 9.30... I, The Whistler, will return to tell you another unusual tale. Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of the Whistler? I'm the Whistler. I may be the district attorney, but if my son is guilty, he can pay the penalty like anyone else. I'll prosecute him. Then, Blake, I'll start on you. Sunday night, and again, CBS presents The Whistler. I, The Whistler, know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. So I tell you tonight the unusual story of the weakling. Young Clyde Banning, son of District Attorney Banning, steps out of a nightclub following a gay New Year's Eve party. An expensive limousine pulls up to the curb and Clyde gets in. Clyde has done some careless driving lately, had his driver's license revoked, and is now forced to be driven about by Rawlins, the family chauffeur. Where to now, Mr. Banning? Let's go home, Rawlings. Not yet, Clyde. Hey, look. What are you doing in here? I thought you were still in the club. I didn't think you even knew I was there. Oh, I saw you a couple of times. Why have you been avoiding me, Clyde? You know how it hurts me. What's happened? Take Miss Blake home, Rollins. No, I won't go home. I won't be brushed off like this without an explanation. You know how much I love you, Clyde, and I I can't go on like this any longer. This is no time to make a scene. Clyde, you know you love me. Let's get married right now, tonight. Please, let's not talk about it now. I will talk about it now. Rollins, pull up, please. I won't get out, Clyde. I won't. I'll drive, Rollins. You can take a cab home. You'll drive, but listen. Go on, Rollins. I'll take Miss Blake home. Don't take me home, Clyde. I've got to talk to you. Please, drive down to the Ocean Highway. All right. All right, but cut out the melodrama. you changed so, Clyde. Why can't we get married? You know as well as I. My father is district attorney and he's out to crack that graft situation wide open. He knows who the big boss of the racket is and he's going to get his scalp. Send him to the pen. But what's that to do with us? You know that Jim Blake is the big boss. Your own father. But we have our own lives to live. If I married you, Dad would throw me out of my ear. What of that? We could get along. How? Your father won't have a dime when this is over. Besides, Dad is up for re-election. How would it look? D.A.'s son marries convict's daughter. I... I thought you really loved me. Well, I've always liked you, Ellen, but it just won't work. It isn't fair to Dad. Then you don't want to marry me? I've told you how I feel about it. What a ridiculous fool I've been. Now, don't start that hysterical stuff I've hoped against hope that you weren't trying to get rid of me, but now I know. You're a low, spineless jellyfish. You didn't love me. You couldn't. Stop shouting. I won't stop. I wish everyone could hear me. You know what a despicable robber you Shut are. Shut up! No, <laughs> oh, stop it, you Ellen! Good Lord! Ellen! 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 Oh, Lord! Her face! Ellen! Ellen, darling! Better get a doctor. Maybe she. No, shouldn't move her. Yes, that's it. Get help. Yes, Clyde, better get help. There, just ahead, the low lights of a service station. Hurry, Clyde. Maybe she's still alive. 
What's the trouble, Clyde? You're slowing down. Well, they, they might think I did it. Think I pushed her out. She's dead. She must be. No one knows. Better drive on. You've passed it now, Clyde. You've really fixed things now. You should have stopped. Clyde's fear increases with every mile. He slips the car into the garage and hurries quietly to his room. But he doesn't sleep, not a wink. His head throbs, and with every thump of his heart, Ellen's words ring in his ears. District Attorney Banning sits at breakfast with his attractive wife, Marsha. Marsha is Clyde's stepmother. The district attorney scans his morning paper as Clyde, pale and worn, slips into his place at the table. Hmm. What do you think of that? What is it, Henry? Jim Blake's daughter was found dead on the Ocean Highway early this morning. Oh, they found uh, on the Ocean Highway? Oh, good morning, son. How have you been? Oh, I guess I overslept. Really? <laughs> Looks as though you hadn't slept at all. Have a big evening. Too much champagne? No, no. Gee, that's terrible about Blake's daughter. What happened to her? I think she was thrown out of a car. Probably some enemy of Blake's. I dare say he has plenty. Thrown out? Does it say that? Yes. Well, I'd better go down to the office. Maybe she jumped out. Not likely. Venture to say she was pushed out all right. Why don't you have some coffee, Clyde? Help that hangover. I haven't got a hangover. (laughs) What in the name of heaven's wrong with you? You better take some aspirin, son, and go back to bed. You're going to the office today? It's New Year's Day. Never go down there on a holiday. Going down for an hour or so. Will it upset your plans by any chance? I haven't got any plans. And what's bothering you? Something's wrong with you, Clyde. Nothing's wrong with me, and nothing's bothering me. Just a me. moment. Who are you shouting well, at? I'm not shouting at I think you'd better go on back to your room and go to bed. You're a bit too unpleasant to suit me. I'm sorry. Sorry, Marsha. That's all right, darling. I'll feel all right after a while. I guess I did have too much champagne. Never seen Clyde like this. Well, you've only been around him a year, Marsha. He's a moody type, has spells, but he's a good boy. You'll learn all his little quirks in time. Well, I'll run along, darling. Be back in an hour or so. I beg your pardon, Mr. Clyde. Yes? What is it, Thompson? Rawlings, the chauffeur. I would like to see you, sir. Oh, yes? All right, send him in. He'd see you, Rollins. What do you want, Rollins? I'd like to have a little talk with you, Klein. Yeah? What's on your mind? Uh, where did you go last night after you dismissed me? What business is that of yours? Well, I just thought I'd ask you. Got in around 2.30, didn't you, Klein? What of it? Thought maybe you knew what happened to Ellen Blake. Well, I took her home. What happened after that, I don't know. She kind of put the pressure on you, didn't she? What do you mean? I heard her. Heard every word you both said. She, uh... Said she was determined to get married. So what? Well, it wouldn't be so good for you if I was to tell about last night. Oh? No, you made a big mistake when you let me out of that car. If you let me drive her home, why, you might not be in this jam. Who said I was in a jam? I say so. What? What if you do tell what you know? That doesn't prove anything. Oh, I got better proof than that. What? Ellen Blake's handbag. I found it in the car this morning. Here it is. What? Her initials on it. Personal effects inside? Oh, yeah? Now, I'm the only one who knows about all this. If I talk, you're certain to get a rope around your neck. I didn't kill her. She she jumped out. Yeah? Can you prove that? No. If I tell about the argument and establish the time, you wouldn't have a chance. I didn't kill her, I tell you. How'd you like trying convincing a jury on that? No. Well. But, you know, I don't have to say a word about it, Clyde. Why should you? It all depends on you. What do you want? Oh, I could use a little money. How much? Uh, two or three thousand dollars. Where would I get that much? You get a nice allowance every month. You're a dirty rat, Rollins. I didn't like your looks when you came here three weeks ago. I thought you looked like a crook. I'll have you fired. I don't think you will. You can't afford to. Do I get the handbag? No. Not until you pay off in full. Suppose I tell you to go to the devil. And you'll be in jail within an hour. I mean business. Okay, I'll pay as much as I can each month. I don't want to wait too long. I'll try to get it as soon as possible. 
I want that handbag. You'll get it, kid. When I get the 3000 Good afternoon, madame. What do you mean, coming into my room without knocking? And how is madame today? What do you want? I want to wish you a happy new year. But of all the nerve, you get out now, of here. Now, 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 don't get excited. I thought you might like to talk to me. What do you mean? Well, I've got a little information that uh, might be of interest to you. Information? What are you talking about? I'm talking about Clyde. What about him? Well, I was just wondering what would happen if your husband had to prosecute his own son for the uh, <clears throat> murder of the daughter of the man he's out to break. Are you crazy? What do you mean? Clyde murdered Ellen Blake. Threw her out of the car. What? How do you know that? She was in love with Clyde. He was trying to shake her. I drove them away from a nightclub last evening. They had a very serious argument. And then he let me out and drove the car himself. That doesn't mean anything. Ellen Blake was killed about 1 a.m. Clyde came in about 2. Good heavens. This morning I found this handbag in the car. It's Ellen Blake's. If I were to tell what I know about it and produce his handbag, Clyde would have a rope placed around his neck by his own father. I doubt very much if the D.A. would ever be re-elected. How could Clyde do such a thing? Well, he must have left and lost his head. She was pretty insistent. But you don't have to say anything about this. Oh, I... I wouldn't have to. If this came out, Henry would be ruined. That's just what I mean. Now, you wouldn't want that to happen, would you? No. Then it's all up to you. Up to me? Yes, if I cover up a murder, it might affect my conscience. I might worry a lot. But, uh... My conscience might be sad. What do you want? Well, it ought to be worth about $3,000. Three? Why, that's ridiculous. I have no such amount. Then get it. How could I explain what I wanted with $3,000? That's your worry, not mine, baby. Do you know what they can do to you for blackmail? Now, now, this isn't blackmail, honey. No, I'm not threatening to divorce someone's past. It's bigger than that. As a matter of fact, you're going to bribe me to withhold a piece of important evidence. So you see, I... Hold the aces. Get out of here. Get out. <laughs> okay. But I know somebody was a lot of dough, and I'd just as soon turn the information over to Blake as anyone else. I just want to give you a break. How about this diamond bracelet? Oh. Yeah, that'll help. But it'll be hard to get rid of. I'd, I'd rather have cash. All right, I'll give you these diamonds, and you can hold them until I get the cash. Fair enough. Hand them over. You know, I thought I'd, well, that you'd see things in the right way. Goodbye, honey. Get out of here, you <laughs> rotten thief. Oh, listen to her. <laughs> As the days pass, Clyde and Marsha are both turning over every cent they can get hold of to Rawlins. But the going is difficult. And Rollins becomes more insistent. Then one day, Clyde gets a message to visit the big boss, Jim Blake, Ellen's father. I, I was told you wanted to see me, Mr. Blake. Yeah. Sit down, kid. Thank you. Everything working out all right? What do you mean? You look a little worried, kid. I thought maybe something was disturbing your sleep. Oh, well, I've been having headaches. I think it's my eyes. Been seeing things, have you? In the dark? No, I haven't been seeing things. I don't know what you're getting at, but nothing's bothering me. Just when was it that you started meeting my daughter, Ellen? I don't know what you mean. Ah, quit playing dumb. I found out about it today. Who told you such a thing? Does your father know about you and Ellen? I'll bet not. Now, look here. If you think you can stop father in this investigation by trying to frame something on me, you're crazy. You can't get away with it. I'll spill the whole thing. Oh, you will? Yes, I will. You're a crook. When my father gets through with you, you'll be behind the bars for the rest of your life. When I'm put behind bars, kids, you'll be dangling from the end of a rope. What? What are you trying to accuse me of? The murder of my daughter. Murder? I didn't kill her. Can you prove that? There's no proof that I did. I've got a witness, kid, and he's ready to talk when I say the word. Witness? That's ridiculous. Why should I want to kill Ellen? Because she was in love with you, and you wanted to shake her because you were afraid your father would kick if you married her. 
Your father's out to get me, and I'm determined to beat him to the draw. Well, I didn't kill her, I tell you. Ellen left that nightclub with your car, New Year's Eve. You had an argument. She wanted to get married. When she got too insistent, you dismissed the chauffeur and drove the car yourself. And out on the ocean highway, you threw her out on the rocks. I didn't, I didn't. Did you stop? Did you look at her? Her face mangled to a pulp, her body broken to bits on those rocks? I didn't do it. I swear I didn't. I've got a witness to the argument and the time element. You, you can't scare me. I just talked to Rollins, your chauffeur. Knows what time you got in, and he found Ellen's purse in the car. I, I don't believe it. Where's the purse? Rollins has it. He'll produce it when you get to trial. And your own father will have to prosecute you. Oh, I'll enjoy that. Too bad about that purse, kid. If you'd found the purse and Rollins didn't know what he knows, you might have gotten away with it. But you're stuck now, stuck with Rollins and the purse. And your own father will have to tie the rope around your neck. Rollins is a liar. It'll hold in court. The jury will believe him. He's a dirty liar. I could kill him. Kill him? You you wouldn't do that. Well, he isn't fit to live. Well, you aren't either. But I'm going to give you a chance to keep out of the noose. I'll keep Rollins from talking if you get me a couple of letters. What letters? Your father has them. They have my signature on them. You can get them very easily. You get those papers, and I'll put the quietus on Rollins. They're addressed to the county supervisor. Your father intends to use them against me. I want them. Is that clear? Yeah. You get the papers, and we're both in the clear. Understand? Yeah, you understand. All right. I'll give you till tomorrow evening at 6 o'clock. You can go now. Yeah. Remember, 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Saturday night passes. Then Sunday dawns with the most startling discovery. Rollins, the chauffeur, has been found dead. Shot to death in his apartment over the garage. No evidence is discovered, no weapon, no fingerprints, nothing. Now it is late afternoon. Oh, this is a fine mess. A murder in my own home. Everything will come out all right, Henry. You're certain to find the person who did it. Oh, yes, he he may have had some enemies... After all, we know very little about him. He'd only been here a short while. Don't you understand? I'm the district attorney. Murder has been committed in my own home. Why, if I can't bring this to a solution, I'll be a laughing stock. I'll never be reelected. We're trying to help you, Henry. Oh, certainly, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do, but this has got to be kept from the police department. Once they get into it, it'll be plastered all over the front pages of every newspaper in town. Yes. I'll, I'll have to handle this from my own office. Well... Neither one of us has been out of the house, and we haven't told anyone. What are you worried about? Surely a a man like Rollins could have had many enemies. Who knows what he'd been mixed up in? Captain Stone to see you, Mr. Batting. Captain Oh. Yes, I was afraid of that. All right. Show him in. Afternoon, Mr. Batting. Oh, good afternoon, Captain Stone. Well, what are you doing out this way? We uh, heard about your chauffeur. Really? And who told you? Oh, friend. Body hasn't been moved, has it? No. No, Inspector Stone, it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Still in the room over the garage. Well, come on, Skelton. Let's have a look. You uh, you don't mind, do you, Mr. Banning? Why, why no. No, of course not. Well, thank you. We'll be back in a moment. All right. You know, I've got a strange feeling that Jim Blake knows something about this. Blake? Why do you think that? I, I don't know. He's just the type to think of something like this. Yes, a perfect setup for him. A murder in my own home. Nothing would please him better. Why would Blake resort to anything like this? Why? Because my dear Blake is in a tough spot. Yes. The more I think about it, the more right I think I am. Well, I'm going to have a talk with him. I don't think Blake had anything to do with it. Really? What do you know about it? Well, nothing, Father. Then please allow me to handle this in my own way. Henry, why must you be so harsh? I'm sorry, Father. I think you should keep away from Blake. Why? I don't know. I just think you should. Yes. Well, when I want your opinion, son, I'll ask for it. Well, here you are, Mr. Banning. We found it. Found what? Found this revolver behind the garage. Well, no, I... no, don't touch it. We want to check for fingerprints. Oh, of course, I know better than to touch it. Yeah. Fingerprints? Maybe there are none on it. Ah, we'll check it just the same. Well, the, the killer would be a fool to leave his prints on the gun. 
How do you know it is the gun? We'll find out. Ballistics will know. How will they know who the gun belongs to? Maybe it isn't the gun. We already know who killed him. All we need is proof. No. How do you know? Who did it? Your son did it. What? We were tipped off. My son. That's right. Are you crazy? Why should Clyde kill him? He hardly knew him. Look, Mr. Banning, you think I'd come to your house snooping around unless I had a very good reason? Where did you get your tip? Well, I... Rather not say. Who's his friend? Come on, you'd better tell me. I'll bring it out eventually. All I know is that we were tipped off about the murder and told who did it. Your son threatened to kill Rawlins. Who told you that? Jim Blake. He heard him say it. Where did you see Blake, Clyde? I don't know what they mean. Ask Jim Blake. Come on, Skelton. Let's check that gun with ballistics. A few hours later... Boss Jim Blake stands in the study facing the district attorney. There is a tense moment as each waits for the other to speak. Well, Banning, what do you want? I know what you're trying to pull, Blake. You're trying to get at me by framing my son with a murder. I'm not trying to frame him. I just told the police that I heard Clyde threaten to kill Rawlings. So far, there's nothing but circumstantial evidence. Clyde had no reason to kill Rawlings. And without a motive, Clyde is in the clear. Yeah? You had a scheme in mind to force me to drop that investigation. Then your scheme went haywire. You pulled a boner. What do you mean, boner? If Clyde had threatened Rawlins' life, the natural thing for a man in your situation to have done was to approach me instead of the police. Why? Well, you wanted those letters, didn't you? How could you possibly make a deal for those letters now that you've made your information public? <laughs> I'm way ahead of you, Banning. I'm not so dumb as all that. I'm still holding the aces. What aces? The ones I'll throw down for the letters. I think you're bluffing, Blake. I know why Clyde killed Rawlins. I can supply the motive. I'll admit that without the motive, he'd be in the clear. But if I spilled the motive, he'd crack in five minutes. I still think you're bluffing. I know you've got a cinch case against me with those letters. But with what I know, I've got a cinch case against your son that will send him to the gallows. Not only that, but if I do spill it, you wouldn't dare show your face in this town again. <laughs> Sounds pretty gruesome. I can't imagine what it could possibly be. I'll say you can't. Clyde is really in it, up to his neck. You really think he's guilty? Certainly, but whether he is or not, he had the motive. And the motive for killing Rollins will lead to something that can be definitely proved. You mean material evidence? I do. So in order to prosecute me, you'll be forced to prosecute your own son. Hmm, I'll see to that. Now you hand over those letters and we'll all be in the clear. Believe me, Banning, I'm not bluffing. Blake, if you're telling the truth, then we're both in a very unfortunate position. You're a crook and I happen to be a stickler for duty. I can't be bribed. You mean you'd actually prosecute your own son? I do. And if he's guilty, he can take the consequences. I don't believe he is, but I know you are. But I think you're crazy. And I still think you're bluffing. Try me. I'll call you a bluff. All right, but you'll change your mind, Banning. If you don't, you're a bigger fool than I've ever come across. Let's have it. Get your son in here. All right. Marsha, bring Clyde in here. Yes, Henry. What a sap you are, Banning. Over a couple of punk letters. Huh. Duty. Not a bourgeois. Do you want me, Father? Oh, you can come in too, Marsha. Yes, Henry. What are you doing here? Well, kid, I've been having a little chat with your righteous father. He sent for me. He's a little stupid. He wants to be enlightened. Maybe you can help him. Yeah? Clyde, I understand you paid a visit to Mr. Blake. Huh? Go on. Better tell him, Clyde. What were you doing there, Clyde? Well, uh, Blake sent for me. Why? Well, he wanted to talk to me. What about? Well, uh, about what you've been saying. I told him what you said to me. You said about what? About Rollins. Uh, what did I say about Rollins? What did you say, Clyde? Uh, Nothing. He's lying. Lying about what? We haven't said anything yet. He, he tried to get me to steal something. Steal something? No, we're getting someplace. Wanted you to steal some letters out of my safe. Yes, yes. He, he offered me a lot of money. Money? <laughs> I didn't even mention money. I didn't have yes, to. Yes, he did. What inducement would money be to you, Clyde? You always get everything you want. I offered well, you something better than money, kid. What was it, Clyde? He threatened me. Threatened to kill me. <laughs> How do you like that? You're in a tough spot, kid. You better start talking. You threatened to kill Rollins. I did not. I heard you. Why did you make that threat? Well, I was just talking. I didn't mean it. I couldn't kill anybody. But you did say it. But I didn't mean it. What had you done? What did he know? Something prompted you to say it. Now, what was nothing, it? Nothing, nothing. I haven't done anything. You killed Rollins. You said you would. I didn't kill him. You killed him to shut his mouth. What did he know, Clyde? Blake's lying. He's not trying to scare me. I'll scare you. You killed Rollins to keep him from telling what he knew about you and my daughter, Ellen. What? Your daughter? She was in love with Clyde. He wanted him to marry her. He tried to shake her, but when she got too insistent, he threw her out of his car, murdered her. I did not, I didn't. Rawlins heard them arguing. Clyde dismissed him and drove the car himself. Rawlins found Ellen's purse in the car next morning. 
Rollins told me. He's lying, lying. I told him Rollins wouldn't talk if Clyde got me the letters, but he killed Rollins instead. Was Ellen Blake in your car the night she died? Yes. Did you dismiss the chauffeur? Yes, but I didn't kill her. She jumped out. She jumped out deliberately. Why didn't you tell this? I was going to, but then I got afraid they'd think I killed her. Rollins tried to blackmail Clyde, then double-crossed Clyde and came to me. Where's the purse? Clyde probably has it. That's why he killed him. I haven't got it. I don't know where it is. I couldn't find it. And you were in Rollins' apartment over the garage. Yes, yes, but I didn't kill him. I didn't oh, kill Ellen. Yeah. Now, what do you have to say, Mr. Banning? Do I hold the aces? No. I'll bring it to trial. I'll find that purse, if there is a purse. And if he's proven guilty, he can pay the penalty like anyone else. And then, Blake, I'll start on you. You're a fool, Banning. You're crazy. Come in. Well, here we are, Mr. Banning. Got quite a bit of dope on this Rawlins killing. But now? There were no fingerprints on that gun, but it was definitely the murder weapon. Ballistics checked it. Well, still doesn't prove my son fired the gun. Oh, that's right. But we did manage to trace the original ownership. And what did you learn? Well, here it is. Gun was purchased four years ago in Seattle. By whom? By Patricia Rawlins. Patricia Rawlins? Mm-hmm. Did you check on Patricia Rawlins? Who was she? Yeah, we checked on her. We also checked on Rawlins. Patricia Rollins was your chauffeur's wife. They both have a police record. Rollins was a confidence man, three convictions. Wife Patricia was implicated as an accomplice. Anything else? Yes, Rollins disappeared into Mexico three years ago, finally turned up here. Rollins must have had the gun in his possession. Or the wife had it, in which case she could have killed him. Quite possible. You'd better try to locate the wife. Oh, uh, here's a picture. We should be able to locate her without much trouble. What do you mean? Good Lord. Marsha. Yes, Henry? Look at this photo. Do you know who this is? Yes, Henry. Sorry, Mrs. Banning. We'll check your fingerprints with these on police record just to make sure. You don't need to check them. They're mine. Marsha, don't. Why not, Clyde? It doesn't prove anything. Maybe somebody got into the apartment and killed him with his own gun. That's just what happened. He did have the gun, but I killed him. Three years ago, he deserted me. Later, I heard he was dead. Then after I'd married Henry, he turned up here. I knew what he was going to do eventually. But I was in love with Henry. Then when he found the purse, he used it to blackmail me. And when he double-crossed both Clyde and me by going to Blake, we determined to get the purse. But he caught us ransacking his apartment. He pulled the gun and struck me. We all fought for it. Clyde wrestled with him, and I got the gun and shot him. Why did you tell, Marshal? Why? Why not? It doesn't matter now. Tell me, did she shoot in self-defense, Clyde? Certainly. He'd have killed us both. Well, that will clear you with the Rawlins charge. But what about Ellen? He still killed Ellen. Captain Stone, there's a missing purse. Ellen Blake's purse. I want it. You can start looking in Rollins' apartment. I'm going through with this, Blake, regardless of the consequences. Take a look at him, Captain. A man who'd sacrifice his own son, his own life, for a couple of measly little letters. <laughs> what a set. But District Attorney Banning, a determined man, goes through with his promise... The case against his son is in preparation. The day of the opening of the trial is set. Then the missing purse is found. And in it is a note to Clyde, written and signed by Ellen Blake. Go on, read it, Clyde. Dearest Clyde, I've tried every way to reach you. I know now that you've been avoiding me. I can't go on. I know your faults, but I love you. can't help it. So I'm going to kill myself. I don't know how, but some way will present itself. Goodbye, Clyde. I hope you find the happiness I've been denied. I love you, Ellen. Well, there you are. Ellen Blake did jump from Clyde's car. And Clyde, even though he did seem a weakling, was able to fight when it came to a showdown. And Marsha, because of her great love for Banning, was willing to sacrifice everything for him. So Clyde is cleared... Marsha is acquitted, and Blake is sent to prison. And that is the end of a story which might have ended very tragically had it not been for the note in Ellen's purse. Very convenient, that note. CBS has presented The Whistler. 
Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The Whistler is written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originates from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next week, 9.30... I, the Whistler, will return to tell you another unusual tale. Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thanks for stopping by. Remember to tell a friend about Roy's Diner and send us a review next time you have a chance. We bring new episodes every Wednesday and Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We're a proud part of the 1001 Stories Network, heard worldwide with listeners numbering in the millions. We hope you stop by again soon. Thanks for being with us.